The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. What to watch in TV and streaming? We're joined by Elaine Burke, editor of Silicon Republic, and Joe Shea. But before we hear from them, let's just hear a little bit of the excerpt from season five trailer of a program that's coming in just a couple of weeks' time: The Crown. In light of the events of the last twelve months, perhaps I have more to reflect on than most. For years, I've called for a more modern monarchy that reflects the world outside. I don't think it's my behaviour that's threatening its survival. You, as future king, have a duty. People will never understand how it's really been for me. I never stood a chance. Remember the one condition, the one rule. You remain loyal to this family. Can we sign it? Yes, it's a system. For better or for worse, we're all stuck in it. It feels it's all about to erupt. She opens her mouth and hand grenades come out. She wants to tear down the temple. Let's go for it. What the hell is she doing? I won't go quietly. I'll battle till the end. How did it come to this? That always sounds like it could be Game of Thrones the way it's done. But fictionalised drama, Elaine, they're now telling us that this is... Sure, didn't we know that? We know it's not a documentary. Yeah, I mean, Netflix has always said it's based on these real-life events, but it is fictional storytelling at the end of the day. But they finally capitulated and they're now kind of putting that disclaimer into the trailer and on the Twitter page, on the Netflix description they may end up putting it in front of the episodes which I don't think they've ever done before and because they've kind of said the, the viewers know what's going on here but there's been a lot of complaints and I think as they're getting to more recent history that people have kind of very vivid memories of that are still around today uh, they're getting kind of a bit thornier now like John Major was not happy that apparently there's a scene between depicts him and Prince Charles talking about maybe planning to oust the Queen and he's obviously saying like this never happened this is completely fictitious and he's worried that people might look at this and then not look fondly on his history and his past especially in light of the Queen's recent death no one wants to be speaking ill of her after all that so I suppose Joe Shea there will be lots of people who will watch it and say ah that's what happened and will treat it all as fact yeah, of course they will. And, and you know, it's, it, it, it does that blurred lines thing. And the, the funny thing about what's going on now with Netflix having to give in to all of the criticism, it's coming from the likes of Judy Dench, from John Major. It's coming from the British establishment. It's coming after the death, the recent death of the Queen. And, Twit- and Netflix, who famously don't engage with, you know, criticism, who don't reveal much about what they do, They've finally, and they've had a recent show, Dahmer, you know, which the families of murder victims have been raging against Netflix and saying, you know, you're, you're completely bulldozing over the memories of people that were killed by a serial killer. And Netflix kind of paid lip service and, you know, kind of sort of, but here Netflix are giving in. They're kind of, they're, they're admitting. And I think it's to do with the, with the power of the British establishment in some respects that they, they can't really go up against that. But maybe, particularly in the case of Dahmer, do the victims' families not have a point that the oh, yeah. deaths of their loved ones shouldn't be treated yeah. as a sort of um, oh, oh, as an entertainment? 
I'm sorry, but, but certainly, but the point that I'm making is Netflix were able to largely brush that off and 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 turn Dammer into this huge, huge hit. You know, it's funny, like I'm saying, they can kind of slightly ignore uh, the the sensitivities of the families of, se- of victims of a serial killer. But when the British establishment starts kicking off about, you know, you're not telling the truth about John about what Prince Charles said to John Major, suddenly they're they're slapping, you know, this is a fictionalized dramatization disclaimers on everything. At the same time, Elaine, I suspect that many of the documentaries, particularly the true crime documentaries, are every bit as sensationalist and desiring of ratings as a dramatisation. You absolutely have to wonder about the vast appetite there is for these stories that are essentially exploitative in their nature. They are. I mean, if, if there's a crime, there is a victim and there, there's people who are probably harmed by the issues being explored by these shows. And, and maybe not a lot of care is taken to see how, how they would feel about their name being brought up again and, and, and maybe painful events in their life being serialised and becoming kind of like a trend online. And you've seen that with the Dahmer uh, stuff. Like there's people trending online. Like they basically cast someone who's kind of like a creepy heartthrob in other American horror story um, fictions. And then they cast him as Def- Jeffrey Dahmer. And it just seems like a problematic thing to start with. And now there's like glasses that he wore being sold for thousands online because people are actually kind of becoming a bit fandom me about Jeffrey it. Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. Yeah, glasses that he item. wore in prison went on sale for $150,000 uh, yeah, on the back but, of the popularity of this show. But Matt, one of the fav- one of the things that people love to do is give out, oh, Netflix, they're exploitative and all these true cry dramas. Netflix would not be making these dramas if there wasn't a huge, huge, huge public appetite for it. And the same people who go on to Twitter and go on social media giving out about Netflix and they're exploiting, the, you know, they're still watching and tuning into these shows because if they weren't, Netflix wouldn't be making them. Gangs of London, Elaine, I believe that the, there are some real mobsters that are getting a run out in this, are there? And this is kind of interesting and it ties into the conversation about real life mixing with fiction. So Gangs of London season two is about to come out uh, on Sky and Now TV and they actually have Stephen Gillen, a reformed mobster. He's actually now a Nobel Peace Prize nominee and Freddie Kuga Nwaka. Uh, part of the marketing for Gangs of London because their stories are kind of inspiration for these tales. And the way the marketing has taken place is it's both of them in one-on-one conversations. They're being posted by Lad Bible on their Facebook page. So it's kind of this like social media marketing campaign. But watching it, I actually find these one-on-one conversations between these two real-life former criminals way more compelling than any advertising I've seen for Gangs of London because they're really having like very forthright conversations about their history in crime. Has it dragged you into Gangs of London yet? I don't think it, that's the funny thing. I don't think it's going to drag me into Gangs of London but it's made me really interested in these two people and I like hmm. that the way the setup is it's that the two of them are having the conversation. Now obviously it's been edited uh, for clarity and for uh, succinctness but it is still just the two of them. There doesn't seem to be a producer guiding them on their topics and conversation. So. Joe, are you familiar with this show? Yeah, I, it's it's yeah, I am, and I'm also familiar with Stephen Gillen. He's a fairly he has a very interesting backstory, and he actually was a, raised. He spent quite a lot of his childhood living in, in Belfast um, when the troubles were on. So it it's it is very interesting, and, and again, it, it's sort of like how real life is being dragged in, and real histories are being dragged into these these crime shows now. Fiction fiction doesn't seem to be enough for people anymore. It has to be rooted in in you know real people, real characters, and stuff that actually happened. Okay, something I think you're looking forward to. We have Mick Heron due to join us for a culture club in the next few weeks, uh, who's written the Slow House novels and the TV show uh, Slow Horses. I believe there's going to be a second season coming very soon. 
Yeah, it's very soon on Apple TV, not only second, but they've already confirmed a third and fourth season as well. And listen, one of my favourite films of, of recent years or the past couple of decades was uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with Gary Oldman, which I thought was an absolute masterpiece uh, movie. And what you have here with Slow Horses is fantastic uh, novels and Mick Hearn's a very good writer and tells a great story and Gary Oldman kind of playing in again in that you know that, that kind of post-Cold War but down at heel seedy London where these these spies are not James Bond characters they're not dri- driving around Aston Martins drinking martinis they're, they're kind of they're misfits and they're working in a terrible wreck of, a, of an old tenement building in the middle of London and they're, and they're looking at the kind of the, the Russian criminals uh, the legacy of the Cold War. It's just, it's really, really good to be. It's very well done. And Gary Oldman, it's, he's made for this kind of kind of drama. So I think... Uh, it's quite amusing at times as yeah, well. It is. It is. And it's exactly. It's got a great, it's got a great sense of humour, real downbeat, deadbeat kind of sense of humour, very dark. And it's, it's just great TV. Yeah, and I'd I think recommend it. it. For those yeah. who have Apple TV, before the yeah. second series drops in early December, if you haven't seen series one, have a look at it. And as I said, Mick Hearn will be with us for a culture club with the next couple of weeks or so. Now, Elaine, uh, something else that I haven't watched, uh, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel. The final episode is out now, but I understand that yet again, uh, to the concern of the TV companies, it leaked in advance. Yeah, two days ahead of time, it it appeared online. Um, Obviously, the result of a hack, they've they've said it's true. The weak link in the chain was a a distributor in the EMEA region, which is our region here. So um, who knows where it came from? But it's really interesting because it's it's something that has plagued the Game of Thrones series in the past and the House of Dragon being the spin-off now and they're they're going to make more seasons of it. So are they going to be a target now for hackers? Um, When Game of Thrones was hacked, uh, it was back in 2017, 2018. They have found the people that were behind that they believe and and sanctioned them. But I, I mean... That was just such a big target for them. Like they, they demanded six million dollars in Bitcoin at the time. We don't know if they were paid off at the time to to not leak scripts and unaired episodes online. So that's what happens when you get these big shows which have a huge appetite and a fandom that you want to keep things under wraps. Like you'll actually become a target for hacking. I know you haven't been watching it. Have you t- cast an eye, Joe, on uh, this House of the Dragon? Yeah, I watched about the first four episodes. I'll probably go back to it, but I was actually watching uh, the Lord of the Rings, power, the, the Rings of Power as well. And I, I only had room in my life for one mad fantasy. You know, uh, and did Lord of the Rings win. Yeah, Lord of the Rings won by a mile. Yeah, it's, I think it's far better. Than Despite the dodgy Irish accents. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, let's hear a little bit of Dara O'Brien closing the final episode of the BBC show that's run for seventeen years. Mock the week. We've been on for the last 17 years. We've done 232 episodes featuring 131 comedians. We've seen out six prime ministers, four US presidents, seven England football managers and two archbishops of Canterbury. That wasn't a big deal. (laughs) Can I say that I have prepared a little speech? Because I'm quite... Do you mind if I... Uh, Oh, by all means, yes. a little speech. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, yes. It has been an absolute blast to do it, however, and we also leave with the quiet pride of knowing that in the years that we've been on, we have now left the country in a far more stable, prosperous and happy situation than when we started, and we'll always have that. We're not a very sentimental, very mawkish show, so we're just going to say on behalf of the production team, on behalf of myself and all the comedians here, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you and an honour. I'm Dara Breen. Good night. OK, Joe Shea, why is it over? 
Well, I mean, it's these things come to a natural end, but I think you you heard there why what why it did last seventeen years, why it was such a fixture and kind of in pop culture and, and political and satire because Darabin because he he has that intelligence and that weight to him. He's a smart guy, and they they, they always had really sharp, really really well written scripts, and they always had good guests on. I mean, the kind of the the panel show, the comedians doing panel shows format is so tired at this stage and so done to that. It's still you know. There are still plenty of shows out there like that. I think they just couldn't. After 17 seasons, I think, I think they just said, right, we've come to the end of the road here. And it's funny as well, because they are going out at a very, very interesting time, of course, in UK politics. And indeed, and unfortunately for them, they had pre-recorded the programme on yeah. Wednesday before events on Thursday <laughs> with Liz Truss. OK, yeah. just to finish up, we need picks of the week from both of you. Elaine, what are you going for? I'm going for The Watcher because uh, I everyone's about this, talking about The Watcher. Having watched the brief clip, on, it's on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. Right. I was going, that looks like that could be very interesting. Yeah, it's another Ryan Murphy vehicle. So like he's behind American Horror Story and Dahmer and uh, lots and lots of shows I'm sure you've come across. And it's got an amazing cast. Bobby Cannavale, Naomi Watson, the leading roles of these this couple that have moved into their dream home and then start getting these suspicious letters from some kind of person who's trying to do them in, it seems, and these threats. And then the cast of characters for their neighbours, It's uh, get, you've got uh, Mia Farrow, Margot Martindale, uh, Richard Kind. There's just the most incredible cast and I'm getting the most incredible feedback. So I'm dying to de- check this one out. OK, and what's your pick, Joe? Uh, mine is the peripheral and I'm Amazon Prime and this has got Wicklow's own Jack Rayner although I didn't even realise it was Wicklow's own Jack Rayner when I watched the first two episodes he plays a former US Marine his sister is Chloe Grace Moretz they are living in the Blue Ridge Mountains sometime in the early 2030s they get involved in a computer game a simulation that's what they think they're involved in of course it turns out it's not that at all this is from the same team that made Westworld which I thought was incredible if you you like Westworld, if you like sci-fi dystopia, you're going to absolutely love the peripheral. I think it's going, it's going to be huge, huge, huge. Thank you very much, Joe Shea and Elaine Burke. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.